Well, hey, hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Amazing Seller Podcast. This is episode number 186, and today we're going to be talking about something that, well, isn't that, uh, I guess, that exciting because it's sometimes kind of scary, and that is patents and trademarks and copyrights and all of that stuff. Now, whether you are afraid that you're going to violate a patent or maybe someone is violating your patent or your trademark or maybe the copyright of your images, these are questions that come up a lot. And the reason why I wanted to have my next guest on, he's actually a past guest. His name is Ted Limus, who is an attorney. He helps Amazon sellers mainly with hijackers, but he also knows about intellectual property and some of the laws and regulations and all of that stuff. So I wanted to have him come on really not to give us legal advice because he isn't really in the position here to give legal advice, but he is a friend of mine that is willing to come on and really answer some questions. And he has found since the last episode, the last episode that we had him on was 152, which was a great episode, by the way. And if you guys want to go check that out, it's all about hijackers and how to uh, you know, really address them and get them off your listing and all of that stuff. That's episode 152. So theamazingseller.com forward slash 152. Now, again, he's been kind enough to come on as a guest and really talk about these three topics, patents, trademarks, and copyrights. But I do have to put this disclaimer in there. He wants me to put this disclaimer in there, so I'm going to put it in here, okay? The information contained in this podcast is not intended to and does not constitute legal advice and no attorney-client relationship is created. Consult a qualified attorney concerning any legal matter matters that you may have, okay? So that right there, let's get that out of the way. Um, I want to be clear on that, that if you are at all in question, hire an attorney, okay? So like I said, we're going to go ahead and dive into these three topics, and he's really going to shed some light on this for us, not just for ourselves as far as like seeing if we are violating a patent, but also if we have a patent, maybe some of you listening have patents already and you have someone that is going against your patent or trying to rip your product off. Um, now that's not most of the, you know, most of the time that's not the case. A lot of time it's, you know, a bigger brand and you're private labeling a product and then they're sending you a cease and desist letter. And he's going to talk about what we should do if that letter comes um, and kind of like what happens in that process and uh, just some really good stuff. So I'm going to stop talking now so we can go ahead and listen to this interview with my good friend, Ted Limus. Hey, Ted, welcome back to the show. How's it going, man? Hi, Scott. Doing great. Doing good. I heard you just were skiing, you told me, with your kids. How was that? Oh, my God. Spring skiing. (laughs) Spring skiing is the best, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you know what? We haven't had hardly any snow here. So in order to get to snow, we would probably have to travel about an hour and a half, I would think, north. Um, Whereabouts are you located again, Ted? Yeah, I'm in Southern California, but the kids are in Utah, and uh, the snow there was pretty good. Was it nice? Yeah. Yeah, here we don't have much at all, which I'm not complaining about. I got to be honest, I'm running from the snow. That's why I'm moving south. Um, yeah. But I would you know, occasionally like to be able to, like you said, if I was still skiing, I don't ski anymore. Um, but um, if I was, I mean, when I did, spring skiing is just awesome. It is totally awesome. So that's cool. So spending some time with your family, that's always a good thing. Um, Let's kind of give people a little bit of a recap, I guess, or maybe we can catch them up to um, what's happened since you've been on the show. You you were on the show episode 152, and on that one there, um, the title of that one was How This Attorney Removes Hijackers and Protects Amazon Sellers, and you know it got a really great response, and I guess I wanted to kind of get your 
I, I guess, your feedback and kind of like what's happened since you've been on the show and maybe, you know, how, uh, you know, you're working with people and kind of how that's brought us to today's topic, which we're going to be talking all about patents, trademarks, and copyright. Yeah, Scott, uh, you know, I want to thank you. In the, in the couple of months that I've uh, been on the show, I've had quite a response from the TAS community. And uh, a lot of them have been uh, calling me and emailing me, uh, not only with questions about hijackers, but just setting up their business or dealing with cease and desist letters or sending out cease and desist letters. And uh, it's been uh, a really welcoming response. That's great. Uh, I think it's a lot of fun working with these folks. Uh, uh, Some of them are very experienced uh, business people. Some of them are just getting off the ground. And, uh, and it's, uh, fun to be able to help them. Um, but, uh, I've seen a lot of, uh, of confusion out there about intellectual property or what we call IP issues, uh, that's patents, trademark and copyright. Um, of course, you know, you don't expect lay people to have a clear understanding of these things. And so hopefully today I can clarify that and, and, uh, call to the attention of your listeners some of the issues that I'm that I'm seeing over and over again yeah no and I I think that's I think that's important uh because these are these are issues that I think that um you know do come up and I don't think anyone has a real clear answer as to how we can you know fix this issue um now the other thing that I did want to again before we move move into this, you know, the patent, the trademark, the copyright, and all that stuff, is let's just kind of go back. How are things with hijackers right now since we last talked? Is it pretty much the same? Is there any other little tidbits that we can give people that we might have learned of? Is there anything that's changed in that particular, um, I guess, problem? Well, the hijackers are always going to be there, and the more successful your listing is, uh, the more likely you're going to have. Uh, hijackers on your listings. I'll tell you what I'm seeing a lot more of though recently are these, um, remember what we talked about the, the high hanging fruit, uh, hijackers yeah. or, you know, as I like to call them, the, the parasites. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I don't know if they all held a conference or something, but it just seems like there's a lot more of them out there and, uh, and they're more of a nuisance than, than anything. Uh, technically, they're they're not really violating Amazon's rules, and so mm-hmm. you have to be creative uh, to to take them down. Uh, I have been successful in in taking those uh, off of my clients' listings because um, you know, in large part, they're not invested in your product or the ASIN, and uh, and even though they're they're selling your product, so so you're getting a sale. Um, they the customer service is not going to be nearly as good. So uh, most of my clients do like to eliminate those uh, parasite sellers or 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 the high hanging fruit guys that are way for your price. Yeah, and I, I think what what we're talking about there too for anybody that didn't listen to that other episode, which I think you guys all should because it was really a good episode. That was one fifty two. So theamazingseller dot com forward slash one fifty two. But really, what you're talking about here is people coming on. And, uh, you know, a hijacker and they're not undercutting you on price. They're actually, uh, making your price higher. And, um, in this case, if someone is, I guess, foolish enough to buy that at that price, um, then they can just buy your product and then ship them your product just at that higher price. Now, the other thing that I think that, uh, you know, cause they're going out and doing this, not just with one listing, they're doing it with like 
a hundred or a thousand listings. Um, And they're just trying to find a few that are going to actually not pay attention to you. But the other thing that I've been noticing is if someone goes out of stock, immediately they'll go in and take the buy box now. So that's that's another part of that their strategy, that if you run out of stock, they're instantly going to fill the buy box. You're not going to go out of stock, and then they're going to start showing up on your listing. Um, Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, they don't have a product themselves. Uh, They're just uh, riding on the float uh, and waiting for people to run out of stock. Uh, to get the buy box, uh, or occasionally they they just get a buyer who's interested in paying a lot more for the product. Yeah, so, yeah. So you know, it's it's not nearly as pernicious as a as a true hijacker, which is uh, usually a Chinese seller that's coming in and selling a counterfeit product or a knockoff. Right. Uh, but that's much worse because they're they're driving down your buy box, uh, and uh, and and really destroying your brand. But, uh, but these folks are sitting there that they're actually selling your product. It's not a counterfeit. Right. Uh, and they're just hoping to every once in a while, get a bite at their very high price. And they do. Apparently it's a business model that works for some people. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sneaky and it's, it's underhanded, but there are people out there doing it. So, uh, but it, it's part of, uh, it's part of that ecosystem, but we just got to deal with it and be able to try to get them off. And I, I actually had someone, I told you that I actually, I followed up with you to let you know that I had that. And I used the cease and desist letter that, um, that I'd publicly put out there and you said, yeah, go ahead, use it, see what happens. And it, it actually worked. So, um, you know, sometimes it'll work, sometimes it won't, but uh, it did work for me. Um, so let's go ahead and let's, let's dive into this because the, the real reason we wanted you back on today and you actually emailed me and said, Scott, there's three things that we should really discuss that people are confused about. And I think it could be helpful. And that's really about the patents, the trademark and the copyright. So I'll let you kind of kick it off and kind of, um, you know, educate us, I guess, on these three um, key points to selling on Amazon. Yeah, there's a a fundamental difference between the the law of patent, trademark and copyright. Uh, But the thing that that your listeners should be aware of is that there is a lot of overlap between these two. And in fact, we lawyers uh, sometimes are not entirely sure whether a certain item falls within a patent issue or a trademark issue. Usually a copyright issue, we're able to tell uh, it's, it's generally more distinct. But sometimes something that's trademarkable is also copyrightable or vice versa. So, you know, but there's, there's, there's uh, should be no confusion uh, as to the, the basics between these three legal concepts, patent, trademark, and copyright. Um, and with regard to, to your listeners for private label sellers, uh, I think it's important uh, to at least have a basic understanding of them. Sure. Sure. I, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's really important. And I mean, I get a lot of people that say, Scott, you know, like, how do I know if a product has a patent or how do I do a search? So what would you tell someone that would ask you that question that would say, and, and just as a friend, not even as a lawyer, right? But just as a friend, Hey, you know, what would you do if you were launching a product today to make sure that you weren't violating anything or at least doing your best job to make sure that you weren't? Yeah. There's a, there's a real issue out there with, with regard to patents, because they're very difficult to search. Uh, yes, you can go online and you can, uh, you know, as a layperson, you can go online and do some uh, searches through the Patent and Trademark Office's uh, files. But the truth is that there are, you know, specialists out there who charge quite a bit of money, anywhere from $2,000 on up, to do patent searches. And even then, 
they'll tell you, well, we're not 100% sure that, uh, that your product uh, isn't going to violate some patent. Uh, it's difficult because there are millions upon millions of patents out there having to do with, uh, with uh, what we call design patents, that is the overall shape and features and appearance of your product. Uh, or, you know, it can be a, a patent that, that people mostly think about, which is sort of a new innovation, a new way of doing things or a new mechanical piece. Um, so um, <clears throat> it's, it's difficult to know whether you're going to run afoul of somebody's, of somebody's patent. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you this, what, what I'm seeing a lot with the, with the TAS community and the private label sellers is that often you know, they're sourcing a product uh, and it's a, a product that, has, that is possibly a design uh, patent infringement. So for instance, um, uh, pick, a, you know, pick any product, right? I, I don't want to be specific because I don't want to disclose any, any client's information, but, but uh, uh, let's say that it's a, a, nation, a national brand and they have a certain, a certain shape uh, about their uh, product. Let's say it's a, a kitchen, something on, uh, in the kitchen that sits, uh, that sits on the counter and it's got a certain shape, a certain feel, a certain look to it. Well, uh, a lot of times you, the, the folks that you'll be sourcing from as a private label seller will, will sort of knock off that shape. They'll make it similar in size, similar in look, similar in feel. And then uh, you know, they'll put your brand name on it and, of course, sell it to you. And then you get a cease and desist letter because it looks like uh, a national brand's product. So I, I guess... You know, getting back to your question, what would I advise a, a private label seller is uh, be careful about, uh, be careful to do your own research uh, uh, with Google and Google Images. You can look around online and see products that are, <clears throat> excuse me, that are similarly shaped, uh, that may be branded, that may be patentable, and uh, and you should check into those uh, and, and also talk with your supplier. Uh, ask them specifically: Have you are you aware of any other uh, of any parties out there who are issuing cease and desist letters because of uh, you know the look or shape or feel of, of this particular product? Um, but you got to do your own research on this because it's it's pretty expensive to actually hire a lawyer or hire one of these firms uh, to do a patent search for you. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I've, I mean, again, coming back to like good old fashioned common sense, right? If you're looking at a product that is, you know, out there and a major brand is creating this product or selling this product, then I would definitely say look for patent pending somewhere too, or just patented, right? I mean, that's clearly going to tell us if it's been patented, at least that design style, whatever. And right away, if I seen something like that, I would go the other way. Um, that's me personally. And that's kind of like doing that, you know, top level stuff. And most bigger companies, at least that I've seen, I've always seen that patent pending or patented. Um, and then they have their patent number and all that stuff. So, um, would you say that that would be good advice or do you think that that's too basic? It's a little basic because a lot of companies don't put any patent information on their packaging or on their websites. Um, and, uh, and so that's just, you know, it's just the way they do it. But obviously, if you see that, that's a big red flag. But what if they, what if, okay, so if they have a patent, do they have to put that on their product itself or they don't have to? No, they don't have to do that. 
Okay. No? Okay. And it's, it's still a violation uh, if you if you wind up uh, infringing upon their patent. Um, but I'll I'll tell you this also, Scott, is that you know I'm seeing I'm seeing a lot of cease and desist lawyer uh, cease and desist letters coming in from national law firms and and where they're trying to bully or scare off uh, uh, private label sellers and, mm-hmm. and saying, well, we have this patent or we have that patent. But me as an attorney, when I take a closer look at it, I think, well, wait a minute, this is a, this is really a questionable call. Uh, these people are overreaching and 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 claiming that their that their patent is broader than it really is, and uh, and they're just trying to scare off little guys, little private label sellers who are undercutting their business on Amazon or elsewhere, and uh, and I'm seeing a lot of that too. So just because you receive a cease and desist letter does not mean that it necessarily has merit. Okay. But that at that point in time, when you do see that, and if you do receive that, then your next step is to go to a patent attorney. Is that, is that what you would do? Well, yeah, you call somebody like me or, or any IP. Uh, okay. Okay. That letter. Yeah. Okay. So it just doesn't have to be a patent uh, attorney or, uh, you know, a specialist. It can just be an attorney that can look at the paperwork and see if it holds water. Uh, correct. I mean, it should be an IP attorney, somebody who has some understanding okay. uh, about trade. Yeah, you wouldn't want to ask a real estate, inter- uh, you know, attorney, right? Correct. Correct. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Cool. So, I mean, you know, you have to do your own research. You got to use your head. You got to be smart about it. Um, but I will tell people this too. I mean. You know, we can go out there and we can, uh, you know, do all of our research and we still may violate something or get scared by a letter that we receive. Uh, Me personally, I'm not going to let that scare me um, in a sense. And if it happens, then I'll deal with it. But I will do my best in the beginning to make sure that I'm not going to be violating any patents. And, you know, again, I mean, it comes down to if you're if you're, uh, you know, sourcing a product you know, if you can see that there's specialty to it or specialty design or specialty uh, fabric or certain types of, uh, uh, you know, print, uh, you know, then yes, you know, you got to be really careful. And, and that stuff I might even stay away from, right? I mean, we're looking at sometimes a generic, a generic item that you can find in, uh, you know, I don't want to say the dollar store, but something that's in a generic form that would be just, you know, kind of basic, that would be kind of hard, even hard to patent because it's pretty generic. Right, it's it's a sort of broadly used, um, but but again, it, we're 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 talking about the overall look and yes. feel of a product. Yes, uh, if it's something that that is a unique design or that is, um, you know, part of a national brand's sort of signature look, um, yeah, you want to avoid those. Totally. All right, cool. So, okay, that's patents. Um, now let's move into trademarks. Well, one other thing before we okay. move on. Okay. Okay tell you I, i'm seeing to some some of the private label sellers putting on their listings that they have that they have a patent or that it's patent pending oh yeah 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 don't people you know don't do that if, if you don't have a registered mark if you don't have a patent or if, if no patent is pending do not put that in your product descriptions uh, that is illegal uh, I don't know that people really get in trouble with Amazon. I don't know that they're patrolling that, but if somebody calls you on that, uh, it can create problems for you. Yeah, that's that's good advice. Yeah, you don't want to be, uh, you know, doing something that's not true just to scare other people off. Uh, right. Yeah. To- totally agree with that. Yeah. Good point. Um, okay. So can we move into trademark now? Yeah. Okay. Cool. So why don't you kind of run us through trademarks? Maybe start really at the 
at the high level as far as like what what is a trademark and you know how do you get a trademark and what does it mean yeah i mean the the trademark is your your brand and it's usually a combination of your brand name and uh, some kind of symbol or a particular script or font that you're using in connection with your brand name uh, and, and it's what we we think of as as your mark which is why we often call this a trade mark uh, it's how you are known in the marketplace by consumers of your product or prospective consumers so different from patent uh, and also different from from copyright and uh, and also different from Amazon brand registry so um, you know, these uh, a trademark, of course, is something that that you can register uh, with the U.S. Uh, Patent and Trademark Office, and I certainly do recommend if if your listeners are going to be in it for the long haul, they're going to uh, be serious about selling on Amazon and building a business. That you definitely want to register your your trademark, but you don't have to if you're a little guy and you're getting started. Um, uh, that's a lot of money, and and perhaps uh, your money would be better spent uh, developing a website and, and doing those things uh, that you need to get uh, brand registry on Amazon, uh, which is what I would suggest that you do even before you register your trademark with the USPTO. Yeah, that's good advice. Uh, yeah, and trademark is a longer process too. I mean, I I actually uh, went through that a couple of different times, and uh, yeah, it it's a longer process. I mean, for me, it was about an eight month, maybe even a even a little bit longer um, for that process to be official. Um, how does that work though? Like when you first register your trademark, does that kind of trademark you in a sense to where it's at least in motion? Yeah, the good thing is that you don't have to initiate your registration in order to have trademark protection uh, because you get um, there's common law trademark as well and as soon as you start adopting a brand name or a logo um, the common law automatically starts protecting you uh, but the great thing about registration is that there's there's now a, a date certain where where you can point to people and say look I have a trademark application in the process as of this date, I have been using this this trademark in commerce as of this date, and all that is now out in the open. It's searchable, much more searchable than uh, than a patent, for instance. Okay, and uh, and so it it puts everybody on notice as to what your trademark is, when you started using it, and it sort of establishes your your claim. Okay, um, plant. Okay. A flag on a desert island. Right? Yeah, 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 totally. It's your it's your stake, and you're going to claim it. Um, so, I guess the other thing was, how do you protect that? Like, how is there any symbols or anything that you would advise putting on once you do get that trademark? Yeah, you know, uh, you can use the TM symbol uh, at any time, even without your even without having initiated a uh, registration you can put a tm next to your brand name or your symbol or both uh, and you can do that on your amazon listing you can do it on your product package uh, packaging and uh, and i recommend it that you do that it sort of it just again sort of puts people on notice that you're claiming this as your common law trademark 
Now, the little circle R symbol, though, that's different. You, you do have to have a registered trademark in, or, in order to use that. And it's illegal to just put the little circle R uh, on things. Uh, again, I, I see that sometimes with uh, some of your listeners that, mm-hmm. that, you know, they'll put patent pending or they use the circle R. And I, and I ask, well, so what's your registration? And they say, well, I don't have one or it's, or it's still in the process. Um, you actually have to have gone through the process and received your registration certificate from the USPTO before you begin using the Circle R. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So the TM we can kind of use as common law. Uh, the R is basically saying that you've got your stamp of approval. Yes. Okay, cool. Um, what are some other problems that you're seeing with trademarks, you know, like violations and stuff like that? Well, again, you know, we're, we're seeing people um i i've had a lot of 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 clients recently come in with uh, what we call trade dress violations and so kind of a subspecies of the of the trademark law is something that we call trade dress uh and as a private label seller you you need to be aware of of the trade dress law so trade dress is is essentially, you know, the overall look of of the product. It's it's packaging, it's design, it's colors, the type of font that's used. Um, and the key here is if your product is confusingly similar to a reasonable consumer, then that can be a what we call a trade dress violation. So you might have a product. Uh, uh, that, that you know is similar to some other national product that is that is trademarked. Um, you never want to, in your listing, say anything to the effect that, well, this is similar to mm. such. Yes. Uh, or, or for that matter, you, you never want to identify any any other product or brand uh, that that your product is is like or similar to. Or that it's uh, associated with in any way, that's a big no-no. It's going to get you a cease and desist for trade dress violation. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that's that's interesting, um, and it makes sense because you're trying to capitalize on that brand name. Now, my only question to that would be: Is what if you had something that was an accessory to a major brand, and you said works well with this? Yeah. That's okay, but again, you're 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 you've got to be really careful how you how you deal with that, okay. and how I would how I, how I would handle that in, in your product listing or your product description is you you know you can use that the brand name of that product, but I would I would make a notation somewhere that X name is the you know is the trademark of so and so company, no affiliation. Uh, it, it's important to have that sort of fine print somewhere. A little disclaimer, yeah. And that way you're not going to piss them off. Yes. Uh, it, it looks like, you know, it, it makes it clear that you're distinguishing your brand from theirs, that yep. you're not using their brand, but that your product is a, is an accessory or, or you know, some kind of complement to, to their product and nothing more. Yeah, no, I, I like that. That's great advice. And I think that you can put that fine print in there somewhere and, most people aren't even probably going to see it, but if you ever needed to call it out, you could. Um, so that's 
that that's good advice. Um, what else are you seeing here that we can discuss on the trademark? I know I'm reading some of your notes here. We've got counterfeit sellers, hijackers on your branded listing, cutting and pasting and, you know, using the copy, the ad copy, even oh. sometimes images, um, which we can talk about that in copy right here in a minute. But what else did you want to talk about with the trademark with counterfeit sellers like hijackers and such? Yeah, well, uh, you know, the hijackers, again, they're, they're always going to be there. And uh, and if, if they are if they are doing they're using your trademark using your brand name uh to to sell counterfeits of, of your product then you got to shut them down um it, it's not always easy to do that and um uh, but we've, we've talked about that in our in our previous podcast but one other thing i want to mention though are these uh what i call cut and paste sellers so these, these are folks that that literally you know steal your asin they they copy everything often they, they copy the photos they copy your product description and they just create a new asin um which of course uh, violates all kinds of amazon's rules and uh and of course is uh, stealing both your trademark and your copyright and um <laughs> you know but the, these these people actually do it uh, I, I don't know where often we don't know where they're sourcing their product if they're just getting some kind of counterfeit or some kind of knockoff product, but uh, but I have seen this, and uh, and it's important that your that your uh, listeners be be aware of this. Uh, something else is is that often this will happen on foreign Amazon sites. Oh, uh, okay. I, I had a client recently who does business on on a number of of Amazon sites uh, all over the world. And they had their U.S. listings, about a hundred of their U.S. listings, completely cut and pasted and put on Amazon India. Wow! And uh, and and so you know, I contacted the operator, the the, the seller, and they said, oh, "We're selling legitimate product. We're actually sourcing through your client in in the U.S. and importing it here to India." And they they jacked up the the price by by three times, which was amazing to me. But they had this whole business model going, and of course, I had to inform them. Look, we have a, a trademark that that is ours. We have a copyright uh, that concerns that that are ours. You can't just just cut and paste our listings mm. and put them up somewhere. You just can't do it. Wow! So it took a lot of effort to to get those down, but uh, but we managed to do that. So that was a kind of a large scale problem, but but individual ASINs that do well, sometimes they just get ripped off entirely. They'll just uh, they'll just steal them. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's definitely something we don't want to happen, and uh, we got to, <laughs> I guess, definitely be be on the lookout for that stuff. But also knowing how to deal with that, you know. So um, again, I guess you know, contacting those sellers and and trying to be like you had said before, trying to be polite and and all that, but. Uh, if you can't get anything, then you got to actually hire an attorney or something like yourself to to go ahead and address that. Well, and the good news is, if you can point out to to Amazon's catalog catalog department that there is a duplicate ASIN like that, mm. uh, there the, usually they will they'll delete the other ASIN. But but you don't <laughs> you know one time that happened, they just went ahead and merged the two ASINs. Oh boy, so this, guy, this guy is now selling on my client's ASIN. And, and of course, we can't have that either because we know that we knew in that case at least that he was selling some knockoff uh, cheap product. 
often. He's, he had to drive down the buy box. So that became, became another issue. Oh boy. Okay. Well, <laughs> that's why, that's why you do what you do. Uh, yeah, you're, you're good at it now. You're, you're getting a lot of practice. Uh, okay, cool. So let's, let's move on to copyright. Um, and I mean, I am, you know, an ex photographer. I still a photographer. My wife's a photographer. We just don't do it, um, for money anymore, but I know a lot about copyright as far as like with pictures, right? I mean, that's one of the big things for us because people, what they would do is they would take our pictures, they'd bring them into CVS or, you know, Rite Aid or Walgreens or wherever, and they would copy our pictures and not pay us for our pictures because those pictures were copyrighted by us because we took the pictures, right? And we had a thing there that said that, you know, the only people that can print these is us. That's a little different, but it's still the same idea with copyright because they're our property because we took them. Um how does that kind of relate to copyright with like your your images, your copy and kind of all of that stuff in your in your Amazon business? Yeah. So in the Amazon world, uh again, we're we're mostly talking about photos here and uh and you're right. The the, the private label sellers need to be clear that the the ideal situation is that they would take their own photos or they're going to hire a professional to to take the photos and they'll get uh you know a, a a writing from their photographer that says i'm turning over all rights all of my copyrights to you because when a photographer takes the picture he or she owns that copyright it, it needs to be transferred to 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 you to the person who paid for it um, there is something called the what we call the the work made for hire doctrine that I'm sure you're aware of, mm-hmm. which is that if you hire a professional uh, photographer uh, or they they are your employee, they're on your staff, then um, then that's it, there's an assumption that the copyright already belongs to you. But it's a good idea, and and the professional photographer has these forms to actually put get it in writing that that you own that copyright you don't necessarily need to register it uh the there's a common law right uh common law copyright law that uh, that uh, as soon as a, an expression is made that is a, as soon as the photograph is made or something is written down or a musical a musical performance is made that uh the copyright law automatically attaches to that work it doesn't okay. have to be registered as you okay know. Yeah, 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 totally. And we we would always have uh, our uh, our clients sign even a, uh, you know, I mean, we're not talking about model releases or anything like that, but that was part of our our you know part of our process. You know, is we had to have some of these things signed. We didn't register them, but we needed the things in writing. And I think a good thing to do here too, as an extra precautionary, like you had said, was even the the photographer that you hire to take your pictures, just to let them know that you know they're kind of handing off the rights to you. Um, so this way here, you're able to go if you wanted to print some or put them into print and, or if you wanted to just use them on, on your website or other places, because technically if you didn't have that, they could say, oh no, we, every time you post it, we need to get paid, you know, and, um, you don't want that to happen either. But I think we're talking more here about people stealing your stuff and then being able to say, Hey, look at, they're mine. They're copyrighted. I've, I purchased them. I've had them professionally shot. They're mine. Is that correct? Yeah, Absolutely. And you'd be surprised how how often Amazon sellers will just steal photos or they'll modify them a little bit. Uh, it's still your copyright, even if they modify things. Um, one of my garment industry uh, clients has a very large catalog of photos that that frequently get ripped off. And uh, what we often find is that uh, <laughs> these hijackers will will just switch the face out of the out of the model, 
So it'll be uh, my client's uh, photo and garment and, and everything, but uh, the face will be completely different. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, you know, and that's very, very common. Though. Somebody else will put their watermark on your photo. Uh, you still have that copyright. So my, my recommendation to, to all my clients is, is use the Circle C liberally. You don't have to register your copyright in order to use the little Circle C uh, and put on there, you know, copyright and, and your your name. And uh, or uh, you know, Amazon really doesn't like uh, watermarked photos, but if you put a discrete watermark on, on a photo, I think that's a good idea. And put it, go ahead and put it in your product listing and put it on your product, uh, product packaging itself. Or if you have uh, some kind of insert, uh, you know, an instruction manual or anything like that, that's, that's, a, that's some kind of printed paper or a diagram, you know, put that circle C on there as well. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's a, a, great, uh, a great bit of advice there because if you put it on there, it's, you're marking it, it's yours, and if someone sees that, they're going to also th probably think twice about, about doing that. Um, you know, not saying they won't, but it's at least there. Um, and uh, I would also say probably too is to, um, you know, I mean, obviously your pictures are going to be, you know, time stamped and all of that stuff, but that would be like even down the road if you had to go to that extreme, you could at least show that everything is kind of like the time that they were shot and the time that the person came online and all that stuff. Um, a little bit more, I guess, you know, a little, little over the top, but that's something that I, I even consider. I even take pictures screenshots of my listing so I could, uh, you know, basically have a record of what it looked like now. And then if a hijacker comes on and starts to try to take over, I've got that as this is what the listing is supposed to look like. Um, and that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's, uh, let's wrap up here. And I know you have a couple other notes here. Um, you know, the, the main problems that Amazon sellers are facing, I think this is with the copyrights, you know, or not just copyright, but everything is like uh, content theft, you know, and then un unauthorized use of the photos, um, so I guess like, what would you say in closing, um, that we can do to make sure that we're on the up and up and that we're doing the best that we can to follow, you know, these, you know, the, these guidelines to protect our, ourselves and our brand and our products. Well, other than the common sense that you mentioned, Scott, it's important for private label sellers to have, uh, a good conversation with the people that they are sourcing from um, because often the folks that you're sourcing from have been doing this for a while. They've been making a product or they've been printing a product insert and, and they may be aware of someone who's claiming a patent or trademark or copyright infringement, but they're not telling you that. And they're over in China or India or wherever, wherever they are. They're not likely to get sued. But you are because you're putting your private label brand name on that product and you're putting it out in the Amazon.com marketplace. And you are, you know, most likely based in, in the U.S., uh, although not always. And uh, you would be subject to a lawsuit here mm. in the United States. Uh, or at the very least, you're going to get a cease and desist, uh, or they're going to report you to Amazon. And um, we all know that Amazon is not terrific about responding to IP complaints, but when they do come down, you know, it's like lowering the boom. They'll suspend your account or even ban you from, from Amazon. 
So uh, have a good relationship and a good conversation about these IP issues with whoever you're sourcing your product from. And if you don't feel comfortable with who you're working with and that they're being above board with you, um, then you might want to avoid them and go with a different supplier. Now, it's good advice. It's really good advice. And I think a lot of times that's why it comes down to that relationship you're building with your supplier, your agent, and um, and letting them know that you are questioning that. And, uh, you know, you can feel people out and not saying it's always going to work, but you definitely can feel people out and, and get a, a gut feel um, if they're on the up and up or if they're doing stuff that's kind of on the on the down low. Um, in, in, a, in a couple of, uh, in, in maybe a minute or two, if we can cover these last little bits because we're running a little bit late, but what do you do if you find someone that's that's exploiting, that's infringing on your own product and your property? Yeah, then uh, then you need to write a cease and desist letter. And, uh, and of course, I'm biased, but I, I think that uh, we lawyers write better cease and desist letters than, than lay people do. Um, by hiring a lawyer, and and going through that process and, and, and doing a proper cease and desist letter, it really tells the other side, the people who are infringing, that you mean business. Mm-hmm. You're not just uh, sitting on your computer and, and shooting out an email. I think it's much more effective uh, and you're going to get the results uh, that, that you want, uh, namely that they stop using the product and in appropriate cases, that you're going to get some kind of settlement, some kind of compensation for the use of your IP. Okay. And then the, the last part of that, let's flip that around. What do you do if, you accuse, or if you're accusing someone else of doing that to yourself? Don't stick your head in the sand and think it'll go away. Uh, you need to be proactive. You need to address it immediately. Uh, and uh, again, I, I think it's a good idea for... Uh, especially if you're getting a, a, a cease and desist letter from an attorney, not just from a layperson, but from an attorney, or especially some national law firm is sending you a cease and desist letter, you really need to get professional help from an attorney to advise you about whether or not there has been an infringement and then to respond formally to that complaint. You don't want to just let it go by the by. Uh, and again, you don't want to be bullied either, which is why it's a good idea to seek the counsel of an attorney and they can tell you whether or not that, that letter has merit. And, and just one last quick question. If, if you do receive that cease and desist letter, is it typically that company, um, you know, their attorney or their attorney or whatever, or even maybe not a company, maybe it's someone that's a small, you know, seller with a small brand, but they, they have it patented or whatever. And you get that. Is it normally, I mean, is the first step usually for them to send you the cease and desist and then just to have you stop selling it? Or do they like say, stop selling it and we're going to sue you for, you know, the past use of our product? I mean, what do you typically see there if you see, if you see any type of trend there at all? Um, most cease and desist letters that are written by lawyers, uh, they, they usually conclude with the with the following. They, they want you to stop selling the product and, and withdraw it from the market entirely and stop using their brand name or their photos or whatever it is. Uh, they also want to know who your supplier is so that they can go after them, although in most cases your supplier is going to be beyond the, the jurisdiction sure. of the court. Uh, and they also want to 
don't know, you know, how much you've sold, how much you've profited by the the use of, of the product, uh, and and they want, you know, they, they usually conclude by saying, we want some some, we'll negotiate some kind of settlement with you or or something like that, and which is again why it's a good idea to hire an attorney because a, a lawyer can gauge uh, whether you really have violated the law or whether they are. Uh, overstating their claims. Gotcha. Yeah. They're overstating their claims. You know, I usually tell them, uh, well, either pound sand or yeah, we'll stop doing this, but we're not going to pay you any money. Um, and there's also the question of, of just how much, how much, uh, inventory you have left. Uh, you know, let's say you get that cease and desist and you've got 4,000 units, uh, on a ship, uh, coming from China that you've just paid for. Uh, well, now you know you've got a lot of money invested in 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 that product. Uh, what's going to happen with that runout? Is it all going to be destroyed? Well, it might have to be if there's a serious violation of of intellectual property laws. Uh, but if they're overstating their claim, you know, you might say, well, fine, we'll change this, but we're not going to do it until after our existing stock is all sold out. Oh, okay. So it, are, it really it really comes down to how severe the claim is. It really does. Yeah. Uh, as to the the merits of the claim, it's a if it's a very meritorious claim, then then uh, you know I advise my clients to take it seriously, and they're going to have to take a hit, and they might even have to pay uh, some modest settlement, which we will negotiate. Uh, but if it's a claim that's eh, marginal or or absolutely bogus, then uh, you know we treat it uh, accordingly. True. Okay. Good. Good. Okay. That's good advice. And I'm, you know, I'm glad I had you back on to get caught up to where, uh, where things are now, but I think this is important and I think not to scare people, but to make people aware and to, you know, do the best job they can when looking at products, um, that they might want to private label. I think it's important. And also not to mention, uh, you know, not going out there and claiming that you have rights that you don't necessarily have, um, because we want to be as honest as possible, too, because we want to, you know, we want to have a brand that's, you know, not just out there one day and gone the next, right? We're building something that we could, you know, potentially either build bigger or sell in the future. So I think this is good stuff. So is there anything else that you wanted to close with, Ted, before we uh, wrap this up? Well, that's it, Scott. I uh, I wish your listeners well, and uh, I really enjoy working with them. And if anyone has uh, specific questions, uh, I'd be happy to entertain them. I just want to underscore, uh, I'm an attorney and I value my law license. So nothing that I have said here today should be construed as legal advice. If you uh, or your listeners have any specific questions, uh, they should address them to a qualified attorney. Yeah, no, that's great. And uh, again, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, what is your website again? Yeah, it's tedlawfirm.com. And you can always email me at Ted at tedlawfirm.com. All right, cool. Yeah, and I'll put them in the show notes as well. Um, so anybody that wants to head over to this episode can check that out. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely link that all up in the show notes. So yeah, th- this has been great. Ted, I want to thank you again for uh, you know going out there and helping people just like this coming on here. You didn't have to do this, but you did. And, uh, you know, there's some of uh, the listeners that are going to, you know, need your help in the future, whether it's battling a hijacker or maybe a patent issue. So uh, I think it's good to have someone that's in this space and you do specialize in, you know, private labelers currently. So I think it's really, really good stuff. So once again, I want to thank you, man. Appreciate it. And uh, keep, uh, keep doing what you're doing. My pleasure, Scott. 
Okay, so there you have it. Hopefully, hopefully this didn't scare everyone off because, you know, this can be scary. I mean, when you think about it and you're saying to yourself, oh my gosh, I didn't know that I was violating a patent, you definitely want to do your research. But me personally, I'm going to do my best to make sure that I don't violate a patent. And that could be talking to the supplier, trying to get a little bit more of a relationship there, hearing if there's been any claims, doing that type of stuff. And then if I really want to go after this product and I think that there's a bigger brand right now selling something identical to that, then I'm probably going to want to back off and I'll go in another direction. So again, I just wanted you guys to be aware of this. Ted had contacted me and said, I'm getting a lot of questions about this. It's a little bit unknown uh, to, to most people, and I really wanted to give some clear guidelines as to what you can do to prevent this and at least set yourself up so you don't you know, fall into you know, having any type of legal issues, you know, hopefully down the road. But if you do, knowing also what kind of actions to take to move through that as well. And the last thing I want to do real quick is just remind you guys that if you wanted to download the show notes to this and the transcripts, you can head over to the blog post that accompanies this podcast episode. We're starting to include them, and I've mentioned this before, is the transcripts. And this one here would probably be a good one because there's a lot of different things that we talked about, and it would be kind of nice to uh, go through that or even download it and uh, keep it as a little as a little cheat sheet. So you can head over to theamazingseller.com forward slash 186. That's the episode. You can also find the contact information to contact Ted if you're interested or if you get in a jam and you want to reach out to him. He is so giving. He's an awesome guy and he's definitely, definitely someone that you're going to want to uh, reach out to if you ever have any questions. So definitely check out Ted's website. Again, I'll put all of the information, the contact information in the show notes to this episode. Once again, that's 186. So theamazingseller.com forward slash 186. 86. All right, guys, that is going to wrap up this episode. I want to remind you guys one last time, I'm here for you, I believe in you, and I'm rooting for you, but you have to, you have to, come on, you guys know the drill, say it with me, and say it loud, say it proud, let's do it, take action, have an awesome, amazing day, and I'll see you back here on the next episode.